0: Hey there. Thanks for joining us for today's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you're here. You're about to hear an incredible message from our pastor, Terry Haight. But before we get started, we'd like you to consider partnering with us. Our heart is to spread Jesus's message of hope to the world. If you'd like to sow into that mission, please visit HermesonAssembly.com and click the give button. Thank you so much for your generosity. Now enjoy this message. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm going to have to get used to having this thing on my head. Where I preach, usually, there's a couple things. I'm lucky to even have a microphone. And so getting used to these things is hard. Other times when I speak, it's just good because it's noisy. So if you make a lot of noise, move around, talk to each other while I'm preaching, you'll make me feel right at home. Because in Cambodia, it's not socially unacceptable to talk during church if it's somewhat related to what the speaker's talking about. So, but it's good to be here with you this morning. I just want to say thank you so much. Uh, your pastor talked about a little already that you support missionaries. Now I'm one that this church has been helping about 19 years, I think now, 19 and a half, with every month getting finances so that I can be on the field. I can't go do the things I do. I can't go and learn language. I can't go and learn culture and live among people and make disciples without people like you that are willing to give each month so that we can be there. And so thanks. And one of the things pastor says, only in eternity will we know whatever our investment has done. But the reality is you can know part of it today. And as we go through some pictures and some things from Cambodia, just giving you a better picture of The country itself, of what I'm involved in, what my plans, dreams, vision for the next four or five years when I go back are, I hope you'll understand that this is a part of you too. For those that have given, this is part of the results over the last 19, 20 years that you've invested in. And not only with your giving, but with praying. As you went through the list of the things you're going to pray, wow, lots of things jumped out. Lots of things, whether it be from language to the visas to all the kind of things dealing with a corrupt government, trying to get things done, working with a new church in a place where it is a brand new first generation church. Thank you for your prayers. Make sure and get one of my prayer cards so that you can remember and pray for me there as well. If you want to go ahead and start some of the PowerPoint, I'll talk you through some of it. Cambodia is a country that is in Southeast Asia with Vietnam on one side and Thailand on the other with Laos up above it. It was losing its borders to Vietnam and Thailand. So in 1863, they asked for the French to come in and kind of take over. Well, the French came in and really began to colonialize in the country. And they were in charge of Cambodia for about 90 years. In 53, they got their freedom. And it was prosperous. But as time went on, most of you that are a little older realize that the Vietnam War started to escalate. Cambodia was neutral. They weren't in it, but they soon were being dragged in because the Ho Chi Minh Trail ran right through Cambodia. And we were trying to bomb and lots of things going on. We dropped more bombs in Cambodia than we did all World War II in Europe. Displacing many people, causing things in 1970 because The king started leaning towards North Vietnam because he knew the communists had already won the South. There was a coup by his generals that hated Vietnam and took over the country. You can move a little faster if you want on some of these too. Took over, but a civil war started. And the king, to get power back, started recruiting for a group called the Khmer Rouge, the Cambodian Reds. Most of the soldiers were eight, nine, 10, 11 years old. Soon in 1975, they took over the entire country and they turned the country into a basically a concentration camp for the next three and a half years, everybody to forced labor, emptied every city. Everybody had to be a rural farmer. One-third of the population disappeared during that time about the population of the state of Oregon. It became known as the killing fields. 1979, the Vietnamese tired of the Khmer Rouge killing people along the borders, Blitzkrieged in and took over the country, but it started a war with the Khmer Rouge from the jungles against the government they set up for the next 10 years. 1989, they started to withdraw because the Soviet Union fell apart and couldn't fund Cambodia for Vietnam to be in Cambodia any longer. A destroyed, devastated country that had been through so much, but in '90, the doors started to open up some, for things to get in. In 1990, there had never been a lot of Christians, but in 90, when Vietnam withdrew, there were two to 300 Christians alive in the country. Every single Bible school student had been killed, and all but three pastors had been killed during that time. You can move forward just a little faster. It is a country that is 90% Buddhist, but they're really spiritist. They kind of put their Buddhism over what they are in that spiritus. You see the spirit houses? Every house, almost every high place has spirit houses where they try to invite good spirits, whatever that may be, to come in and help them against evil spirits. That is a scare spirit. When there's an epidemic and kids are dying in an area, they put them up to scare them away. And so they live in this bondage to spirits. Nobody, when I got there, almost nobody had heard even the name of Jesus. Go ahead and move forward. But in 90, it opened up, and they allowed the Assemblies of God to go in with humanitarian aid, even though it was still communist, and they weren't allowed to do much else. But the key for the Assemblies of God in every place we go is train up locals to become the church so they can stand on their own, and the Bible school is the key to that. I've been involved in teaching at the Bible school and getting to know the students every single year since 1999, so that's kind of the fun thing. I'm the one person in the AG in Cambodia that knows all the pastors and knows them well. So we now have lots of workers. Another thing was, like I said, most people never even heard the name of Jesus once. Not even heard it because they were so closed off to the world. So God laid in my heart to get the Book of Hope, which you're seeing there, translated into Khmer, working with the Bible Society, so that God could open up doors and get it in the hands of young people across the country. God opened up doors in mighty ways as we started to do it. It's basically just the gospel so they can know Jesus. But the government said to us, if you will teach people to brush their teeth and give them a toothbrush, then we'll give you a paper that will allow you to go to public schools across the country. we partnered with many, did many, and now we've been able to give out over 1 million copies of the Book of Hope in public schools across the country. One in every 15 people have received one. Another thing that laid on my heart was youth camps. I had been involved in youth ministry for 14 years in Oregon, up at Camp Davidson all the time, and saw the impact that it had on young people. Well, Cambodians didn't know each other. Young people might be the only person in their village that knows Christ, and so they're persecuted by their families and things, but all of a sudden, we got to bring them from around the country, and this is what unified the Assemblies of God, these young people coming for discipleship, for training, and in the evenings, Basically three things, worship the word and respond to God. Many of them getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, filled and empowered as they went back to help to reach their own villages and the village next to them. One of the greatest benefits of the youth camp was not just those young people, but the leaders we trained. When I first did it, it was me and one other girl trying to do everything. We tried to get some other people in with us. Soon we had others that came along. And we would try to train 16 people each year to be small group leaders, over 20 students in the camp. And we'd spend extra time with them. From those came leaders, not only for the youth department, but for others. Those ones you just saw are ones, it's amazing what God has done in their life. since then. This one right here, if I walked you through it, you'd be amazed. The guy on the far right is now the head of the National Youth Department for the Assemblies of God. The girl on the far left by her husband, she is the one that runs completely the Book of Hope now for Cambodia. The girl right in the middle, her and her husband pastor our strongest church in Phnom Penh. We've got three pastors in the back row and two on the far right in the back row oversee our extension Bible schools out in rural areas. And I I could go on, one's another church planner, go ahead and move ahead but just the ability investing in people making disciples it's not just about making converts it's making disciples and so these young people you see here each year 16 new ones of them get it go ahead and move forward on some of these a little quicker from that we took some of the key leaders to the Philippines for an all-Asia youth leader and Chi Alpha kind of training and from those if you keep moving there we ended up with the National Department of the Assemblies of God. They've got to help start now. I'm just the advisor, and they run most of the things. These are kids from our orphanage. Well, orphans grow up. Well, we started making sure they got to go to university, and I started two dorms right next to my house in Phnom Penh. Each year, six, eight, ten of the orphanage, kids moved up. Back up one, if you can back up one, and stop right there. Just looking at that picture is at one period that they were with me. And in that picture, you got this girl in the middle on the bottom row is the secretary for the National Assemblies of God. Girl in the white and blue shirt runs an organization for rescuing girls that are in human trafficking. Girl in the yellow shirt is a doctor now. The, I could just go on. One down in the front row is a church planter. Guy in the middle back row with the funky hair. He helped to build a hospital now and helped to build an international Christian school. Guy to the right of him in the white shirt is a dentist now. I could go on. But God, again, human resources and your investment and these people are making a difference wherever they go as well. Go ahead and move forward. Another way that we got in was through sponsorship of children at public schools where they had no school before. So we built the schools, we started them. We work with the government, though, and they're public schools. But just at the one you're seeing here, I oversee two. There's a total of 3,000 kids that we get a minister to. It's a public school but they allow us to teach the Bible one hour a week every week and to share with them. From that, a church has been planted in every single village that feeds this school and now going to the next village and to the next village as well. Many of the students as they grow up in high school, they become the teachers of the Bible for the younger kids and then they go to Bible school and now many of them are helping in our church plants. These are some of the church plants that go on out in the rural areas, one village to the next, one village to the next and sharing. But as we get churches out there, many of them are untrained. And that's why I told you we're really working hard. And one of our focuses this next time is extension Bible schools even more. To train up workers that can't come to Bible school. They have families. They have things that they have to do to support their families. And so we go to them. Some of the church buildings. These churches you're seeing cost $10,000. That's it. One out of every two churches in Cambodia that's Assemblies of God, Oregon, has helped to build. God touched the hearts of individuals, of home groups, of churches, and said, we can do 10,000, and it helped to come. This is a floating one you just saw, out on a floating river where the people live at the low of low that Albany First helped to do. The great thing is that in each of these churches, they're not empty during the week. But they use them as preschools to try to reach the children of the village and so for two years we get every single buddhist kid every kid in the village to come and to learn at our churches and god is just doing awesome things teen challenge is another one that god laid on my heart to do as we have a lot of drug addicts now as meth is so inexpensive in the country and you can see some of the things we do, but that's just one of the other side things we do. But look, it's teen challenge, it's even kid challenge in Cambodia. Look how young, they're glue-sniffing kids that the police were catching and selling for sex along the rivers and things, that they were rescued and brought there and went through the program for a year. And may I just tell you one of the things that bugs me a bit, I know we should help with human trafficking, I know it's, you're going to help me out here. I know it's one of the things that people like to give to, but it bothers me that nobody gives to boys. Nobody gives to boys. They'll give to girls, give to girls. Who do pedophiles come for? Often little boys. But they say, oh, boys are too tough. And so pray, because we have a hard time funding the one for girls, we don't have any trouble at all, but for boys, and what do you do with these boys when they're done? They don't have families. And we need places for them, but nobody will take them, and so please pray for us with some of that. Church planting is the other big thing. One of our key things, you can go ahead and turn it off now if you want, is to get and make sure that we have a church in every provincial capital during this next five years that I'm back. We are in now 11 of the provincial capitals. We see that the key is have a mother church in each provincial capital, and they will help to reach out to the villages and sustain and help to make sure that the churches being planted out in the rural areas continue to be healthy as well. So pray for us. And again, the biggest thing is human resources. I believe that God's gonna call a lot of people that are in Phnom Penh, going to university, getting saved, to go ahead and get their degrees, to get job skills, and then return to their own provinces to help to plant churches. One of the other things i'm involved in it's just key is i have four dorms that i help to support you help to support a lot of rural kids can find scholarships maybe the parents can scrape up money to go to university but they don't have any place to stay And so I've partnered with two of our churches that are stronger in Phnom Penh and two that are church plants to use dorms connected to their churches where we get to disciple these young people for four years and they are incredible human resources to help in the church and help with the church plants. My hope is that when I go back, I'll be able to help and do it in several other areas of Phnom Penh. But please pray that these people that are coming, living in the dorms, getting discipled, disciple, God will call them back To their own provinces. Khmer's don't trust Khmer's from outside their own area. And so if we just choose people to send them to a provincial capital, it is so tough. But when God calls people to go back to their own homelands, they have family connections, they have friend connections, and they can be trusted. And so really pray, because it's hard for them to leave Phnom Penh, the big city, and go back, but that they would find jobs and they would be able to go back as God lays it on their hearts. And so God has done awesome things. I wanna tell you, how many did I say believers in 1990 were in Cambodia? Two to 300. And I want you to know, not just because of AG Assemblies of God, we work together, I work hard with other evangelical groups and people that are there, but they estimate now, it's Cambodia's time, that almost 300,000 people now believe in Christ. But a long ways to go, that's awesome. 200 to 300,000 in 25 years. But that's only 2% of the population. There's still 98. In the villages, we are only in 15% of the villages with the gospel right now. There's 85% that still don't have the light in their area. And so continue to pray. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you and thank you for what you've done and what you're gonna do. We thank you for vision that you lay on our hearts. God, we believe that you're going to call people, that you're going to raise people up to go to these provincial capitals, to go to these other places. God, to plant your church, to then reach out to other places as well. God, let it be done. And I pray this morning, too, that you would take your word and that you would speak to each one of our hearts. God, we're so different, and we're in different places in our walk with you. And so I'm thankful that the Holy Spirit knows us, can speak to us, one thing to one person, one thing to another, but that each of us can receive from your word today and by the power of your spirit to leave this place changed and not just for a day or for a week, but for a lifetime as we help to invest in eternity. Again, I love you and thank you and give you praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For those who have your Bible or have your phone or whatever device you have, I'd like to look at Philippians chapter 2, starting with verse 3, I believe, through verse 7. Philippians 2, verse 3 to verse 7. It's actually one of my favorite passages. Do nothing from selfish ambition or a cheap desire to boast. This was Paul's word for the church and for us. Don't do anything at a selfish ambition or a cheap desire to boast, but be humble towards others, always considering others better than yourself. Let each one of you not look to your own interest, but look to the interest of others. Did you hear that? Don't look to your own interest, but look to the interest of others. Having this mind among yourself, which is ours in Christ Jesus. I like the way that it's written in Khmer. Whatever the heart and mind of Christ is should be our heart and mind as well. Amen? Amen. Whatever the heart and mind of Christ is should be our heart and mind as well. Our intention, our focus. Though Jesus was found in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself taking the form of a servant or a slave being born in the likeness of man looking not to our own interest looking to the interest of others who's our example We're to have the heart and mind of christ who did what though he was god he emptied himself being born as a servant or slave today i want to talk to us about one of the most important principles in the bible that is servanthood to be a servant Jesus had called lots of people and then he chose the 12 and they were with him. But you know, the reality is they didn't quite get the big picture yet. They really thought that Jesus was going to be an earthly king and that he was somehow going to overthrow Rome and sit on the throne of David and rule Israel. And so they wanted to be somebody, they wanted to be powerful. So they'd be walking, and there was one instance, walking and talking, and they're discussing who's going to be the greatest. None of us would ever do that, right? Who's going to be the greatest? And in that time, Jesus took a child and said, look, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be like a child. They still didn't get it. So there's another time where mommy wanted to help out her boys, the wife of thunder. They're the sons of thunder. She's the wife of thunder. And so she takes her boys, I can just picture, they got to be embarrassed that their mommy's taking them in, to meet Jesus. Jesus, when you come onto your throne, when you start to rule and reign, let my boys sit on your right and on your left. In other words, let them be like the prime minister and the second prime minister, the other two most important people in the kingdom of Israel. And he's like... you don't know what you're asking all that but it's not up to me anyway that's determined by my father and so they go out but word spreads quickly right in small groups how do you think the other guys felt that their mommy had taken them to meet jesus to be number one and number two in the kingdom they're mad right they're upset they're jealous So they're arguing with each other, and Jesus is probably like, oh, here we go again. And he called them in, and he says, you guys, you know how it is with the Gentiles, with those who rule it over. They use their authority. They trample on other people. They use their power over other people. He said, with us, it's not going to be like that. In my kingdom, it's not like that. But if any one of you wants to be powerful, the big guy, you've got to become a servant. And if you want to be first, you've got to be a slave of others. He said, look at me. I am the son of God. And I did not come to be served, but to serve others and give my life as a ransom for many. Again, the example of Jesus, right? He did not come to be served, but to serve others and give his life. Whatever is the heart and mind of Christ should be our heart and mind as well. To be a servant not to be first but to be last to become a slave and I know we have a hard time picturing that because we don't have real servants in America and we don't encounter that servants didn't have rights these weren't like people you hire for good bucks and they work at your house then go home and things to be a slave to be a servant Jesus, on the night that he was going to be betrayed, he wanted to eat, getting ready for the Passover with his disciples. And so they prepared the room and they went. Problem was, when they got there, there's no servants, no slaves. It's just them. So as they went in, what happened? Well, normally at somebody's house, and again in America, we don't do this, but where I live, you take your shoes off because the room is where you do everything. There's no table. There's no furniture. You sleep on the floor. You eat on the floor. You live on the floor. And so you don't want dirt on the floor, so nobody wears their shoes in. Think about the day of Christ. Did they have nice paved roads and sidewalks? Like in my country, there's two seasons, mud and dust. And both of them make your feet a mess. Because if it's the dust, you sweat, and then it gets all stuck to you. When you get there, your feet are nasty. And in Jesus' day, there were lots of animals on the road, too. (laughs) I won't let you, I won't say any more than that. And so in any home, the lowest servant, the lowest slave, had the job of washing people's feet when they came in. But there was nobody to do it. And Jesus took off his clothes and got down and washed their feet. And when he was done... He said, you know, you call me teacher, you call me Lord, and that's right. And if I, who is your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you each one need to wash the feet of others. I've done this as an example for you. Not so we can have some little ceremony here and do the little washing of feet, but in our daily lives to serve others, to put others before ourselves, to humble ourselves, to become the lowest servant in the house for the sake of others. To be a servant is the key in Christianity. One of the key principles is to lower yourself and consider others more important than yourself. Whatever the heart and mind of Christ is, to make that your heart and mind as well. So what are some characteristics of a servant? I think of 1 Corinthians when it says, what shall we be required of a steward or of a servant? You know the rest of the verse, right? What's required of a steward? To be found faithful. What is required to be found faithful? When Jesus gave out things and said, I go off and then I'm coming back and described himself as a master with servants. When he came back and found people doing what they were supposed to do in the house, what did he say? Well done, my good and faithful servant. What's important for a servant is to be faithful and obedient, amen? Repeat after me, faithful, faithful. Obedient. obedient, faithful, faithful. Obedient. obedient. What is required of a servant? Obedient. Faithfulness and obedience. To be faithful in what we do. Give me faithful over talent any days. Those of you that have employees, work with people, Somebody with all sorts of talent and ability that is not faithful is a pain. And they're more damaged than good, right? Faithfulness. God doesn't care how talented you are. He's the one who gave it to you. He cares that you're faithful. Faithful in what areas? There's a lot of different things. I think of in our relationships with other people. How we treat other people, how we interact, how we put ourselves forward to those around us, whether it's in our family, at our workplace, at our neighborhoods, to be faithful. I'm telling you, Christians should be the most trusted person in any place. Whether it's in your home or whether it's your workplace or whether it's in your neighborhood, people say they're trustworthy. What they say is what they do. Who they are is who they are no matter where they're at. One of the cool things in Cambodia, it's bad at first, is persecution is not by the state, but it's by families. It's because their child has left the religion of their forefathers, because their child will no longer do the incense and send things off to the dead relatives. They become persecuted in their own household. Many come to Christ as junior high and high school, and their parents are not thrilled. They don't kill them. Sometimes they kick them out, but they just make life difficult on them. But what's interesting and awesome, by the time that these kids now are in college and about done with college, I've seen this over and over and over, they become the pillar of their family. Whenever there's a crisis, whenever there's anything going on, who do the parents turn to? Not the other kids, but the kid who's been faithful, even though persecuted. They see something different in their life, that they're trustworthy. We should be the most trustworthy people any place that we're at, that our lives reflect the character of Christ. We need to be faithful with our finances. Sometimes we're a little confused in Christianity. We think we give our tithe and we've done our duty. Well, that's a start, but that's God's anyway, right? You're just robbing him if you don't do that part. But the reality is God has given us everything we have. And that as a steward, we must be faithful even in the other 90%. Jesus taught a ton about this. And he said, wherever your treasure is, there will be a heart be also. Don't lay up treasures on this earth. This is not our home. We lay it up in heaven. And I'm not here to tell you, you can't have nice things. You can't enjoy yourself. But it's about being good stewards of what you've been given. Making the kingdom of God a priority over kingdom of self. Looking to the interest of others before we look to our own interests. A lot of times we want to give God Leftovers. We do our tithes and if we have something left at the end, then maybe we'll give it to reaching the lost. I want to challenge you. Make it a priority in your life. God challenged me long ago when I was first a Christian. Here's the 10%. Start with 5% more for missions. And he grew it and he grew it and he grew it as he was faithful in my life. Don't give God leftovers. Hear from God. It maybe a Amount, it may be a percentage, but make it a first thing. If it's leftovers, you'll never get to it. Money will be gone. But to be faithful in what God's given. I have a few examples, and again, I'm not telling you that you can't have a good life. It's priority. It's what you got to put first. Did you know the average American Christian between age of 20 and 70 spends more on coffee each month than they do reaching the lost did you know the average american christian again 20 to 70 spends more on their pets each month than they do reaching the lost and we won't get into cable bills and things like that too maybe you could give up a coffee maybe a few i don't know but make giving a priority and invest in reaching the lost to this world. Faithful in our talents and abilities and spiritual gifts. If you're a believer, you've received spiritual gifts. We're all different members, but one body, each having different things that God has given us for the building up of the kingdom and for reaching others as well. What are you doing? Don't hide your gifts and talents that God has given you, and not just your spiritual gifts, which are necessary, but just the gifts and talents you have. It was just recently, I was reading through the Old Testament again, and how many times did God gift somebody to be a carpenter, gift somebody to be a sower, to gift somebody to be a a seamstress? Each one of us is unique. We're different, but we're a part of the body, and we need each other to use our gifts and talents and be faithful in it to build up the body and build up the kingdom of God. We've got to use it. And don't be getting down on yourself and say, well, I'm not a mouth or I'm not a hand. I just, my gift's not important. They're all important. Some of you may be a hand. Some of you may be a small intestine. Anybody get excited about being the small intestine? <laughs> kind of a nasty job, isn't it? <laughs> Which one would you rather lose, your hand or your small intestine? Right? Often the parts that are less presentable are more important. For those who serve, for those who administrate, for whatever it may be, use your gifts and talents. You're a servant of God. I love that as the apostles presented themselves so many times in the New Testament, what did they say? Paul, the most educated Jew on the planet. No, what did he say? Paul, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, the same kind of things. James, that we're servants of God and we use our gifts, our talents, our abilities for the kingdom of God. And tying maybe all these together is obedience. Back to the thing: slaves don't have an opinion. We're not used to that. In America, we all have an opinion. Did you know that's funny? I, tra- I help coordinate missionaries from 14 countries that are Assembly of God sending countries. It's an awesome day. I have missionaries that are working with me from El Salvador, from Bolivia, from Costa Rica, from Philippines, from Malaysia, from New Zealand, from Australia, from just all sorts of different places. But do you know what bugs them about American Christians? We think Christianity is democracy and that all of our opinions matter. And almost always, just like the news, our opinions are negative. We find things wrong. You're a servant of God. Servants don't get to talk back to the master. They just do what they're told. They don't even look for a thanks. Obedience. Number one commandment. To love God, right? All our heart, our mind, soul, and strength. Like unto it is the second, we live it out by loving our neighbors ourselves. And what was the great command that was left with us as Jesus was about to ascend? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing in them and then teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Hello, are you a servant of God? Then what was the last command of your master for you? To go and to make disciples. To be obedient to the master. I think of, in Revelation, right when Jesus is coming back, not as the Lamb of God, but this time coming back as the King of kings and Lord of lords. And this huge multitude in heaven. And what do they start to shout? Hallelujah, for our God reigns. And then he's worthy of this and that. And he said, For it's time for the wedding supper of the Lamb. The wedding supper of the Lamb. And when I read that, I think of other parables that Jesus taught. And he said, There was a king, and he had a son. and his son was gonna get married. And so they'd prepared a banquet for the wedding supper. And a lot of people that were important and things that were invited weren't showing. And so he called in all the servants, what are you? You're a servant. He called in all the servants and he said, look, I want this banquet, this wedding banquet of my son to be full. I want you to go out and invite everybody you meet until you go to the highways and the byways and compel people to come in. Now, for a lot of us, because we're Americans, we don't quite get the whole picture on this because our weddings are kind of short. It's lucky if it's 45 minutes long with marching in and marching out and then you go recept a minute and then we go home and they go off to their honeymoon. But in lots of countries like Israel and like where I'm at, it's a big deal. And it's at least a day long in Cambodia, starting with a procession in the morning until the most important part of the wedding, the banquet. The ceremony is about this important. Hardly anybody stays but the old ladies and the dumb foreigners that don't know any better. But what's important? The banquet. Now when they're going to have a wedding, they make invitations that are real nice and they put them in envelopes that are real nice and they put the name of the person they're inviting on the envelope. But there's no such thing as mail delivery where I live. No such thing, never has, never will be any mail delivery. So what do you have to do? You go give them out by hand. In the rural areas it's much easier because everybody's the same in the village but for Phnom Penh now, you kind of have to go lots of places. So understand, if you don't get an invitation you cannot go but if you receive an invitation you better go to which part to the banquet and you take the envelope with your name on it and you put money a good amount inside it and give that as a present and it covers the expenses for the banquet and a little more for the young couple and so you gotta put it in there you gotta go so it's imperative that those who receive them go because They have to prepare this banquet and they have to pay for it in advance. And if they give out a hundred invitations, they're gonna prepare a hundred places for this eight-course meal for the whole evening. Even if you can't make it, you have to put your money in it and send it. It's just the way it goes. So one of my girls from the orphanage that you saw up there was getting married, and often I'd be dad. I'm Mr. Mr. Dad, because all these kids don't have parents. Got, she got married. We'd gone through the ceremony, this and that. But when she was getting ready to invite people, she didn't have a family to help her, so she counted on members of the orphanage, kids that had grown up with her. And one of the girls that grew up with her, worked where I worked at our big complex with our Bible school, with the AG, with the One Hope, with the Teen Challenge, with the Bible school students, pastors come through there because the National Assemblies of God is there as well. So this girl said to her sister, would you take these 30 invitations and give them out? And that's about 10 days before. Well, as we got close to the wedding, I had a couple of the missionaries say to me, it's kind of weird, but I never got an invitation to go. And I'm like, I'm not sure. Maybe she only had so many and you didn't get invited. I just don't know. Another one came to me and said, I'm not going. I made sure she knew that I wanted to go, but I didn't get an invitation. I'm sitting around playing Settlers of Catan with some of the married couples that are a little older from the orphanage now. And some of them are moaning a bit and saying, this is bizarre. I haven't been invited to go to the wedding for Gentoolin so i guess i won't be going i asked another couple i'll see you on saturday night no you won't i haven't got an invitation and so the wedding ceremony's gone on and all this and now it's about time and girls spend time and money to get ready nice dresses gotta do their hair all sorts of stuff it's a big deal and I'm gonna drive a van to go to the wedding dinner and I'm gonna take a bunch of the students that live in our dorms still to go along that are younger siblings of these ones. Well, just as we're getting ready to pull, I've started the engine. Just as I'm pulling out, here comes a girl, not even dressed to go, and sticks out a stack of 30 invitations. Says, I was too busy, sorry. And off she went. I'm like, oh, what just happened? Just imagine the girl who got married and you get to the banquet and there's 30 spots empty that she paid for. And people that she was close to that she wanted them to share a part of, what are not there. And we think, oh, what did she do? But I wanna say to each one of you, God has given you invitations. God is not the one inviting people to the banquet of his son. He says, that's up to you. And it's not just your pastor's job or a few special people in the church. Every single one of us has relationships and interactions that nobody else has. And so God has taken these invitations and given to you and said, please invite these people that are in your sphere of influence. He comes to you and says, here's some for your school, for your place of work. Here's some invitations Would you give them out i want the wedding supper of the lamb to be full and you are the ones with invitations and i want to ask you what are you doing with the invitations are you just going to show up at heaven and say oh jesus here's a stack i never gave out again it's not just special servants that have been called to invite people to come it's every one of us in our sphere to share, to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Christ, that they'll see our life and glorify our Father who's in heaven, and to say, here is your invitation. Here is the word of God so that others can come and so that it'll be full. But I'm not talking today just about Hermiston. Though God loves the people in your sphere, but there's a whole world that he loves as well. I get to travel a whole lot Partly because of what I do, and partly because I like to travel some when I get a little chance. And what I like to do is go and just wander around, just ride the trains to walk through the cities. And sometimes it's overwhelming to be in Cairo, some 14, 16 million people, and walk in the back streets, and thinking here are millions and millions and millions of people That don't know jesus is the savior oh they've heard that he's one of the prophets but they don't know he's the savior they're sincere about their belief system but they don't know that jesus loves them and came to die in their place i was recently in the balkans the old yugoslavia that was under the oppression of the ottoman empire some 400 years and now is broken up and is a bunch of different countries And as I traveled in Kosovo, and Bosnia, and Croatia, and Serbia, and Bulgaria, and Romania, and Greece, and think, oh dear Jesus, how many millions of people live in these places and they still don't know who you are? Who's going to come? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Who's going to go to some of these countries that have been left? They used to be Christian long ago, but now they're walking in darkness as I rode the train across Myanmar Burma, and looking out the windows as we went to the village and saw the oppression of the Buddhism and things there, thinking, who's going to go? God is still looking for people to say, here am I, send me. I love that there's so many young people here. Put yourself in a position to hear from God and to say, here am I, send me. There's places around the world that still don't know who Jesus is, and he's looking for people that will take invitations and go, Now a lot of you may not be able to go, but you can go through others, amen? Like I said earlier, I can't be there without people like you. And some of these people that may be sitting here that someday will say, I'm going to Kosovo, I'm going to Bosnia, I'm going to North Africa, will not be able to go there and learn the language and the culture and to share and to give out invitations without people like you. How shall they hear without a preacher? But how shall I preach if nobody sends them? God wants to use all of us to bring in this great harvest to make sure that the banquet is full. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you, and thank you for goodness. Again, Holy Spirit, I believe this message is for each and every one of us to help to inspire us, to encourage us, that we are your servants, and that we can invite people all around us to come to the wedding supper of the Lamb, God, I pray that during this week especially, that you would speak to hearts and challenge people of how they can be involved, whether it's going or whether it's giving and it's praying. God, challenge our hearts so that we can help to make sure that the whole world hears. I just ask this in Jesus' name, and everybody said, Amen.